Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. It's a little bit cold here. Maybe we move just a two minutes <laughs> if if you inclined to. So keep us warm and flexible, and you can feel the emo the uh, uh, sensation in the body, which is one of the uh, uh, things that we pay attention during the sitting. So we do in the sittings, we do in breath cow, chest towards the ceiling, out breath cat, curl the back, in breath cat, out breath. In, out. Continue on your own. Synchronize each movement with the breath and feel into the sensation of the back, of the, the belly, the chest, the shoulders. And now rotate in a clockwise motion. While rotating, in-breath cow, out-breath cat. Slowly and gently feel the sensation of the body. In your back, spinal cord, rib cage. And now change to counterclockwise. Slowly and gently, notice the change, the change in sensation. It's fluctuating. Slowly coming back into neutral. And now roll the shoulder forward. Roll the shoulders backward. Slowly coming back to neutral. And now we're going to stretch the neck, head down, head to the right, head behind, to the left. And now gently and slowly rotate the head in a clockwise motion. Noticing this change in sensation. And the one who noticed the change in sensation is the same. So the unchanging awareness in the changing objects of awareness. Can you notice the difference between the two? The change in contents arising within the unchanging infinite container of awareness. And I rotate in the the other direction, counterclockwise. Slowly coming back into neutral. Feel the difference in sensation. And now it's about 10 o'clock. We can move in into the sitting sensation. Sitting, 
So it's similar to the movement sensation. We embrace the changing breath, sensation of the breath to awaken the unchanging awareness, the one who's embracing the breath and rest in there. So feel the breath and the sensation of the breath. Sensation can be around the nostril, the chest, or the belly. Noticing the in, each in and out breath, and the gap between each breath. So we focus on the breath and the sensation of the breath as a refuge, a place to rest in. So if there are thoughts, feelings, emotions that come, we come back to the breath and the sensation. This is step one in our meditation, which is called Anapanasati.
So continue to rest in the breath and the sensation and fall in love with it. Fall in love with each breath. Right now we are practicing, so we are trying to remember the breath and its sensation. But when we fall in love with it, it eventually it reminds us to come back. So the effort will be less and less. So in step one, we focus only on the breath and not paying attention to anything else. So energy flows where we focus on. So we just feed energy into the breath. We don't feed energy into thoughts, feelings, emotion. So they just come and go. The breath and not paying attention to others. Step one. And when you're comfortable with that, we can move on to step two. But feel free to stay in step one if that's <clears throat> you feel most comfortable with it. In step two is do awareness. We keep the breath, the concentration of the breath in the background, and we allow sensation, other sensations, thoughts, feelings, emotion arise in the foreground. So now it's a dual awareness. So we rest in the form of the breath in the background and allow everything to come and go. But we place our reference point, a frame of reference in the background with the breath. So the breath become the host in the background. Everything else is the visitor arising and passing away in the foreground. Rest in the host and embrace whatever visitor is arising.
Sometimes a visitor can be a pleasant thought. Sometimes a visitor can be an unpleasant thought. But the host is just a good host. The host embraces all the visitors in the same way. The freedom comes not to push away the bad visitor and cling on to the good visitor. A good host is just embrace, is the one who embraces all and note and notice that the visitors will come and go. You can't push it or you can't cling it, but just differentiate between the host and the visitor. The host is the one who's always here before, during, and after each visitor. So just rest in this hostness in the host. From the reference point of the host, the visitor is just an event that arises in ourselves. So it is, the visitor is arising in you, you are not in the visitor. It's just an event arising in you.
if a thought takes you away from the practice, just notice the breath that is occurring before the thought, during the thought, and after the thought. Noticing the breath is the whole, the thought is a part. Shift and rest in the whole. The host. The thought is just a, a part of a visitor. The thought is confined within the boundary of beginning and ending. That's the nature of the host of the visitor. And the host is always beyond that boundary. So the breath is always here, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And it's always here whether you're at home, you're at work, you're shopping. You can always come back to the breath wherever you are and make that your reference point, make that your host so that you can guide the visitor that come into you consciousness instead of allowing the visitor to guide you. Just differentiate between the host and the visitor. That which is always here, the breath, and that which comes and goes. If you are comfortable with this, the step two, please feel free to stay and rest in the breath in the background. Embrace whatever is arising in the foreground. For those that wants to go a step further, is step three is the non-dual awareness. So we rest in this infinite open space of awareness and embrace the objects of awareness, the form. So whatever's arising is a form, just like the furniture in your room right now. All thoughts, sensation, feeling, emotion, they are like the furniture in your room. They have a shape, boundary, And the one who notices the awareness itself 
is the open space of the room, which is existing between the, the chair and the table, is occurring before the chair, during, on top, below the chair, and after the chair has vanished, is always here. So awareness has two properties. Number one is formless space. And number two is luminosity. It can be aware, it can shine light on the furniture and notice the furniture. So we rest in this open space of awareness. So you can still focus on the breath, but now your resting point is the space surrounding the breath. So at the point of the breath, notice the boundary of the breath. And right at the boundary of the breath, you instead of looking in to see the visible, the form of the breath, now you're looking out, spread out to the invisible space. To make it easier to recognize between the form, the object of awareness, and the formless, the awareness itself, I'm going to play, bring, do the sound meditation. So each sound is the form, is like the furniture in the room. And the one who hears the awareness, the luminosity, is, the, is like the space of the room. Our senses cannot see the space because our senses are form and form can only see another form. But from the sound, from the furniture, you can reflect, you can sense there's something more than the furniture, more than the sound. And that more than is the space. And you notice the difference between the sounds, the object heard, and the hearing capacity. 
the one who hears. So each sound has non-existence. Right now, there's no sound. Existence, there's sound. And non-existence, no sound. So it has a beginning and ending. And it only exists in the middle. It has no existence in the beginning and ending, but only in the middle. That's the nature of the object of awareness the part, the form. What's the nature of the whole, the awareness itself? Is, is the hearing capacity. Now, it, even though there's no sound, it can hear me talking. So existence, now existence again, now it can hear the sound and sounds gone, it can still exist. Existence, existence, existence is the nature. Has a beginning, middle and end, it's always there. So the whole is the host and the part is the visitor. Can you rest in this hostness? So the pain in the body can be like a sound. You can rest in that. You can become one with the pain or you can rest in the awareness, which include the pain, but it's more than the pain. Or your depression is like the second sound. It comes, it's in you. It's in the hearing capacity instead of you're in it. It just come as an event arising in you. Or the sadness that come. Just like another sound. If you rest in the whole awareness, you are, you become something bigger than the sadness. or the fear. And it's okay to have fear if you are something bigger than the fear, the one who hears. Fear is just like another furniture in the room. But you're the space that including it and more than it. So continue to rest in this open space and embrace whatever is arising.
So the practice is to embrace the visitor, whatever emotions arising. It can be a difficult emotion, for example, frustration. And but you still feel at ease because you rest in this wholeness that the host that embrace the frustration. And then if we can experience here, we can bring it into our daily life. For example, you talk to our relatives or spouse or anybody that create frustration, just shift from the person to the experience itself, the tightness in the chest, and just embrace it and just notice you that's just an event that's arising in you. That you can guide that event. Just a content, a part arising. And from the vantage point of the whole, you can guide the reactivity, guide the part in a more skillful way. So everything is all good. All we need is to awaken this awareness so that from the vantage point of this awareness, we can guide whatever is arising. It, all, it just needs guidance. In about a minute, we will switch to our discussion period. In the discussion, feel free to rest in this open space of awareness while embracing whatever's emotion, thoughts, feelings arising. Thank you for allowing me to share the sitting practice with you. Um, before the dis we share the discussion, maybe uh, Bob, you have an announcement regarding the New Year's Day walk. Um, I'll just put it in the chat. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll read it and then Bob uh, will put it in the chat. So per Wendy, Wendy said um, on the New Year's Day, which is Sunday, three weeks from today, there's a New Year's Day's walk at 1 p.m. at Point Vicente Interpretive Center in Palos Verdes. So more details will follow. So we'll follow up with uh, on the email. <laughs> so thank you. So um, today is part two of the... Uh, the Four Noble Truths, I would love to share a little bit, and then I would love to hear from your experience, how the Four Noble Truths, how do you apply it in daily life or whatever happened in your life, whatever come up is all good. The first Noble Truth is the law of the universe. 
as it affects us in our daily life. And the love university is unsatisfactoriness, which is caused by impermanence and non-self. So impermanence is changing. So because it's changing our health, our finance, our relationship, our projection, things change and sometimes they don't change in the direction that we want. So, and that's impermanence. And the second thing is uh, non-self. We have no control over the change. It Everything come due to condition and they go, they dissolve due to condition. So they form by condition and they dissolve by condition. Beyond It's beyond our wants, beyond our expectation. So that causes unsatisfactoriness in our life. And that's just the law of nature. That's inherent, it's inbuilt in every one of us. So as long as we identify with a form, we will be confined in these two laws of nature, impermanence and non-self, which cause unsatisfactoriness. So the second law, the second noble truth is the cause of suffering. So from unsatisfactoriness, we make it into suffering. From the pain, we make it into the suffering. Is this second noble truth. So the second noble truth is what, what do we do that make it into a suffering from this pain into a suffering is um, <clears throat> we put our reference point like The reference point, I put me, I put myself, David, as the reference point. And then I expect the universe, other people to revolve around me. That's the second noble truth. So I want to change everything else to make it fit me and my expectation. So I expect my health to stay the same, no pain. So I... I ex because that's my reference point. That's that's my wants. So I want everything to make it fit with no pain. So I uh, expect changes, and I put a condition. I'm happy if and only if there's no pain in my body. So because of that expectation and trying to change the universe to make it fit me, I'm going against the law because. The whole cannot change itself to make it fit with the part. So this is bigger, so I make it the whole, and this is smaller, I make it a part. So my wants, my expectation is only a part. And that's the second law, that's the second noble truth. So how do I go about <clears throat> in dissolving this desire, desire to change things according to my want? So just change it now. I put the whole as the center of reference and put the parts around. So I shift my reference point 
um, David to the awareness of David. So if I rest in this hole, then the expectation of the part will come up. But it's just, I just see that just as a visitor. I can use it or not use it. It's up to me. So it's a shift of reference point from the parts as a center to the whole as a center. And if I reference, if I rest in this wholeness, in the awareness, then my de David's desire, David's expectation, David's wants, need, um, David's conditioning, they come up, but I'm not feeding energy into it because I feed energy into the into the reference point. So just become the first person, just become the third person. And energy follow where there is um, the first person. Energy flow towards the first person and away from the third person. So if I make, they, in the second noble truth, I make David, the reference point. So if pain arises, it's my pain. So I feed energy into the pain. And I and the reactivity of the pain is my dislike. I feed energy into the dislike of the pain. So I make the pain worse by make it my pain and my hating the pain. Yeah. But in the Third noble truth, I rest in the whole, and my reference point become the whole. So now David's pain still come up, but it's no longer my pain, but it's just the pain, because it's a third person, whereas the first person become my awareness, whereas the pain now become the third person, the pain. And then the dislike of the pain, the conditioning become the dislike. Not, it's no longer my dislike. And that's a shift in energy. So the practice of meditation is to cut off the energy when needed and feed energy when needed. So you find the on and off switch. And the on and off switch is to is to shift because you have no direct control over the energy flow, but you can have direct control over where you put your reference point. You make the whole your reference point or the parts your reference point. And then energy indirectly follow where, where you put your reference point. So, so, so it's just a, a shift of the energy flow. So that's the third noble truth is how to find your reference how to shift your reference point from the part to the whole because the law of nature is always there. If we stay in the second noble truth, if I make David the reference point, I'm going against the law of nature and I always lose. The law of nature is always win. So the third noble truth is to shift my, my reference point to the whole. Now I become one with the law of nature. Since the law of nature is always win, now I always win. <laughs> Even though there's pain, there's suffering, uh, there's pain in the body, but as a whole, it's okay. 
Whereas in the second noble truth, I put a condition, I'm happy if and only if I change the part to make it fit me. And the third noble truth is, I'm happy as a whole in the midst of the part, whether the part is perfect or imperfect. Can you see the difference between the two? One is demanding the parts to be perfect in order to be happy versus one is being happy, being at ease in the whole, in the midst of the imperfect parts. That's the difference between the two. So that's the third noble truth. So how do we get to, so the, what are the ways to apply it in our daily life is the fourth noble truth. Um, there are w ways to learn in um, in meditation as in life. We can learn from others and get the right answers from others. Uh, maybe I can illustrate. If if I'm in the room and I learn from others, it's like I close. I close my eyes and then I learn from uh, the, the right answer from others. So the right answer said, if I'm in the room and I I want to avoid an object, so the the scripture will say, avoid the sofa to the left. Avoid the chair in front of me. Avoid the stand in the right. So that's so I memorize the answers to avoid hitting it, hitting the furniture in the room. Or that's when I first practice is to learn that. But with but that's this the first step. Second step is how to open my third eye so that I can see now with my eyes open. Now I can see oh there's a furniture. There's a table to the left, the shelf to the right the chair in front. So it's two steps. First step is when we haven't opened our third eye yet, we, we haven't opened our awareness yet, then we learn from others the right answer. But second step is we got to make it our own answer, make it our own. Only when we make it our own can we do apply it to daily life, only when we can see with our own eyes. Even though the we get the right answer from others. As long as it's other answer, we haven't experienced the answer yet, then we can apply it. We, we got to see it with our own eyes by taking off the covering from our conditioning. Um, and that's the practice. So, so in the fourth noble truth, we use... Uh, We practice right view, right resolve, right speech, right conduct, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right samadhi. But all those, if we can, it's the right view, right thinking, because thoughts always precede action, always precede everything. So the right thought, how do we get to the right thought, which in turn have the right view, right resolve, right everything else, is through the second step. Can we? open our third eye and see the difference between the visitor and the host 
so that the visitor don't hijack us, our conditioning don't hijack us, our emotion, feeling, thoughts don't control us, so that we can guide it. So our practice is how to awaken this awareness. And the way we awaken this awareness is to embrace the clouds of thoughts, the cloud of thoughts to awaken the awareness, the open space of awareness. And we have experienced that in our sound meditation. So that now, if we don't recognize awareness, if we think we are, if this is anger, if we think we are anger, then anger become the first person, the cloud become the first person, we feed energy into it. But if we embrace the cloud of anger, then we become the third, per then, the, then the sky, the awareness become the first person and the anger become the third person. Then it's no longer my anger, but it's just the anger. And if it's the anger, now it's just a visitor that arises in us. Now from the vantage point of the host, now we can guide the anger. We can use skillful way to guide it. And it's the same for frustration, fear, um, depression, or whatever difficult pain or whatever difficult emotion that's arising in you. Can you awaken the whole and make that the first person? Then everything else, all the clouds become the third person. And by doing so, we no longer feed energy into the cloud of anger. It's just a shift from the from the host, from making the anger the host to making anger the visitor, from making it the first person to making it the third person. And in that shift, we guide it instead of being guided by it. And the way to guide it, to shift is to awaken this. And the way to awaken the wholeness is to embrace the parts. Not to push it away, but to embrace it. Because when you embrace something, you awaken the one who embraced. You realize that the object that you're embracing has a beginning and ending. And the one who embraced is always before, during, and after. But if you don't embrace it, then you think you are it. Then it control you. So it sounds... Um, uh, it sounds usually we sound logical by pushing away when you don't want something, but here we embrace it. But be, by being embraced, we open up to something bigger, to something bigger. Um, so that's. So the whole thing is how to cut up the fuel supply, the energy flow. And the way to cut up is to make it into the third person. So you can, if you understand that, then you can go into any tradition and use that. Because every tradition the commonality between each tradition, each religion, between all tradition and religion is that 
the path may be different, but the goal is to cut off the fuel supply, to make it uh, when needed, to feed energy into it, and to cut it cut off when needed, to make it just the third person, to make the, the thoughts the third person, to cut it off the fuel supply. And the path may be different. For example, in the uh, uh, Christianity, the uh, uh, let me read this. Okay, footprint in the sand is when there's one when this person has one only in his difficulty. He he only saw the one footprint because he. He surrender to the divine, and you can use whoever it is—the divine, Christ, Buddha, Maharaji, Muhammad, anybody. As long as you surrender something bigger than yourself, because when you surrender your pain to something bigger than yourself, then that, if the divine is carrying the pain for you, then the this become your third person, and if this become your third person, then you cut off the uh the energy flow if if pain if the divine carry the pain for you then that the pain become the third person or in the uh kirtan in the hindu tradition they devote to the divine so everything be, be the doer is the divine doer is walking the doer is uh, the divine is the walker the divine is the one who's having pain. The divine is the one who uh, frustrated. Now, the, if the divine is the one who's getting frustrated, then the frustration is the third person. We are the the one who aware is the first person. So our tradition, our religion, point back to the same, the fourth noble truth, which is how to shift from the first person to the third person, uh, whatever's arising. If it's a visitor, it becomes the third person. And as the third person, you can always work with it. Thank you very much for allowing me to share the practice with you. <laughs> so please feel free to use, to make it yours, to make the method yours. Because yeah. most important is how to cut the fuel supply, cut the energy flow. And however you do it, it's all good. Just like climbing a mountain, your goal is to reach the top of the mountain, which is cut up the fuel supply to make it the third person. However path you go, whether you go the north side, the south side, the west, the east, it's all good, but make it your own. Only when it's your answer, then, it's, then it can help you. Remember, remember the difference. If, if somebody else answer and you, then you still have to memorize, avoiding the <clears throat> chair, avoiding the furniture, avoiding this. But when it's your answer, you eventually you awaken the third eye. You can see it for yourself. Then you don't have to remember. And you make it part of your own daily life. Thank you for allowing me to share. I would love to hear from you all how you apply it or anything else that 
in your daily life. Because we all share this commonality of human, humanness. It's all the same for us. It's love to hear you. Feel free to raise your hand and, or you just say, talk out loud. Thank you for your talk. Excellent job, thank you. Um, I notice in my practice that uh, most of the day, you know, most of the week, I am aware of objects coming and going, whether they're thoughts, feelings, or perception. And everything is just coming and going, coming and going. Everything's great. And then something happens that's threatening, uh, like someone recently sued me for $5 million. You know, the thing was totally bogus, but, you know, it's like, boom, all of a sudden you zoom into, into that suffering of, of uh, dealing with some problem. And then at some point, you know, it's like you wake up and you, ah, there we go again. Uh, I, I read this book uh, by uh, Steph, Stephen, uh, what was his last name? Levine. Well, it's called A Gradual Awakening. And yes, Stephen about, Levine. Yes, yes. You yes. talked about how you stand on the railroad tracks and you watch each transparent boxcar go by. And uh, there's one with someone eating dinner and then there's one with someone uh, doing their homework. And then all of a sudden there's a box car with someone who looks like you being chased by a tiger. <laughs> so you stick with that one a long time because you want to see if the tiger got him. <laughs> and that, that's kind of what it feels like, you know. Uh, you know, you, you, can, you can stay in the present moment and then all of a sudden, you know, I find that uh, there's that tiger chasing me, and I, I stick with that one longer than than any of the other ones. But uh, eventually, you just kind of smile and let go, and say, "Oh, got me again." And uh, so that's kind of the practice for me. Oh, beautiful, beautiful! Thank you, thank you for sharing. And uh, point out to something that we uh, all deal with in daily life is uh, difficulty cost sometimes caused by external circumstance. But freedom comes in when you shift from the outer form to the inner form. So you shift from the person who sue you to the inner form, which is the frustration, the tightness of the chest. Because on, because if you don't, if you haven't shift in, into the inner form, then you, the outer form will take you because now you're inside the thought, the outer form. But when you shift to the tightness of the chest, now you can feel that the tightness is in you because you're more than the tightness of the chest. You're the whole body and the tightness has a beginning and ending and you're more than the tightness. Only from the vantage point of something more from the whole, now can you guide the tightness of the chest. And by guiding the tightness of the chest, now you can guide your thought because body and mind is psychosomatic. If you can guide the tightness of the chest, now you can guide the thought of the, uh, the lawsuit. And now you can guide the skillful mean to deal with the lawsuit. So first shift from the outer form to the inner form, work with the inner form, resolve the inner form, 
and the inner form by resolving the inner form, it affects the outer form because body and mind are psychosomatic. So resolve the body sensation, which then you automatically can resolve the thought. But you got to shift from the thought to the body sensation because only from the body sensation uh, can you can you guide it more skillfully because you only from the body sensation can you differentiate between the visitor and the host, the part and uh, versus the whole because the thought is very intangible, very hard to see the boundary. Whereas the body sensation is more tangible. It's easier to see the boundary because the boundary of the chest, of the tightness of the chest. Only can you feel the boundary, can, are you able to step out of the boundary. So shift to the, every, every thought has its component, the body component, the sensation. Shift to its component and solve the body component. Once you solve the component, now you can come uh, solve the whole problem. So just like any big problem you have, it's hard to solve the big problem. So you break down into its components and solve the component. Once you solve the component, now you put it back together and then you solve the big problem. So break it down into its component, break down into its body sensation. That's the component. Once you solve the tightness of the chest, now it's easy to solve the thoughts of that person. Thank you for sharing. Hi, yeah. Thank you so much for um, the conversation. Um, it it really makes me think about how sometimes during the mundane periods in life, it can be a little easier to to practice. Um, and then when something really big comes up. Um, I've found that if I, as my practice um, spreads into other areas of my life, it really helps with those those big upsets, um, and eventually it even helps with the small upsets. Um, and I say it like that because small upsets for me are things that I didn't may not have really noted. I, it's sometimes easier to notice something when it's really big and you have no choice, but I have no choice but to either lose my mind or turn to this um, practice and just kind of bring myself back um, into reality. But that's also where that um, image of the footsteps comes up for me because if... Um, If I'm in a situation where I do feel lonely or upset or like it's one thing after the other, um, like my, my friends use this phrase, you know, a crisis of fate. And I thought, gosh, that's such a such a great verbiage. But then to, to stop and to think about this idea of being some part of something bigger and to understand that what I'm experiencing won't last always. Um, it helps and, and it's a practice and I can do it today and I might almost certainly find myself in another crisis in the future. I don't have to just, just do it again. Like it's not something that's 
ever finished, I don't think. Beautiful. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And you mentioned it's our, the key to our practice is like lifting weight. We got to lift 50 pounds first. And in the, some, we get used to lifting 50 pounds. We know the technique. So then when the 200 pounds weight come, we're ready to lift. The technique of lifting from 50 to 200 is the same. Just different weight. Yeah. So uh, we got to practice uh, in in our daily life to make that get we get used to it. So, for example, if you use uh, uh, the divine is carrying the weight for me, is carrying the weight for me. So, make the divine the doer, so that now it becomes the third person. Make the divine when you're walking, the divine's walking. When you're uh, driving, the divine's driving. And so you get used to that. So when the depression come, when these something serious come, the de- then it become a, uh, a, a habit. Now the divine is carrying that for me. Or that's in the devotional tradition or in the Vipassana tradition is awareness. Every, when I'm walking, it's just an object of awareness. It's just a visitor. When I'm driving, it's just a visitor. Sensation is just a visitor. So when the something big come, oh, the depression is just a visitor. So choose whatever method works for you, but you got to make it into an everyday practice, just like Randy mentioned. And feel it in the body. Feel it in the body. That is a part of me instead of, it's in me instead of I'm in it. Is the third person instead of first person. If if it's the first person, I'm in it. I'm in the depression. But if the third person in, then it's just an event that is arising in me. If it's the third person, so it's a shift from first person to third person. Shift from the whole to the part, from the host to the visitor. It's a shift, and in that shift, everything is workable. But like Randy mentioned, you get to see that in everyday life don't wait till something big come because then if if i don't lift 200 pounds way too too much for me <clears throat> yeah thank you something that comes up to me is um always allowing the practice like you're saying to be there and to kind of have patience uh, just like you're saying like you know start with the gradual one pound or two pounds or four pounds like a situation yeah um and i just see that in my own life when it comes to even some real triggering situations where it's like your relationship um my marriage or with your kids or something just these deeper relationships where you may go in with a lot of wisdom and compassion but it's very quick where that can kind of escalate and maybe be gone at that point based on the other person's reaction. So what I'm just finding is having then the patience and compassion with myself to allow myself to 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 practice. I feel sometimes we feel like in those situations, once we hit like level one, two, or three, or four, right? Mm-hmm. And 400 mm-hmm. pounds, 500, then it's like discouraging that we let ourselves down or something. I'm just really learning that with the like second arrow, like how quick or how how mm-hmm. quick does that become a disappointment instead of just having that patience 
and using, you know, the wisdom or the or right thinking in some of the eightfold path mm-hmm. to allow more of the wisdom to develop. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I feel like there's that too, because sometimes I, I I need to be more patient where it's like you, you want to have the wisdom, but sometimes mm-hmm. there's just emotional a little bit more yes. emotional yes. weight or something. And yes. getting that space. Yes. And giving that um the compassion or or noticing that. Mm-hmm. And it seems a little, but I just feel like having this this openness towards a lot of it, mm-hmm. openness towards myself, my practice, how that's Um, Because there's going to be many times I feel like, you know, I, I feel like I've noticed these things where it's like, oh, I'm really good with some friendships and communicating. But then in her, other relationships, it's like there's an interaction where it's like, you know, um, one, two, three, four. Okay, great. We're good at level four, but then we have relationships where it's like five, six, seven, ten. And like, oh, in level ten, you're like, you know, completely off. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And then allowing yourself that, I guess, grace and compassion yourself to right. open up again right. to realize, okay, I'm the whole Yes. And it, what kind of comes up for me is like being a father or a parent in a home. It's like you can sit there and and and, and keep going back and forth with either your spouse or your children based on some things or you can like for me i just like there's a hole there's a home here so i have to open up kind of to the home and not just be so yeah. stuck to that one part but like what's the what's the wisdom to the home mm-hmm. maybe not confronting that situation at that moment or uh-huh. something like that it just seems to I, I've really been feeling that within my own home sector and noticing the wisdom of like how to navigate that because I as the as as somebody in the house wants to keep the whole home mm-hmm. in peace and not just be right. You know, so mm-hmm, I find mm-hmm. that I have to pull in and out from there as well. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, thank thank you. you very much. But about brother, things that we all experience is um the first arrow is the pain. And the second arrow is our reactivity to the pain. And how can we allow, sometimes the reactivity is so strong, the second arrow that is, uh, even though we can allow it, but we can't allow so much in it because uh, we have loving kindness, but we, uh, we ha- there's a limit of what we can do. And the way to get there is to surrender to devotion to something bigger than ourselves. And Bob was mentioned kind of geared towards that. Why do we need to surrender? Why do we need to be devoted to something bigger? It's because um, all our problems are caused by our thoughts and emotion. And if we think we are the thoughts and emotion, then we can only reinterpret them. And we still in the loop of our reinterpretation. But on, but there's a limitation because as long as we are our thoughts, no matter how much we, we reinterpret, how much we trying to uh, change them, it's still, our thoughts, it, it still has a side effect. So the way is to go beyond the thoughts. But how can we go beyond the thoughts if we think we are our thoughts? So uh, 
this is our thought is a small circle. The universe is the big circle, the whole. How do we go from the small circle to the big circle? The big circle exists before the thought, during the thought, and after the thought. So the way the small circle cannot reach the big circle because it's always there. The small circle is like the fish. The big circle is like the ocean. The fish can't understand the ocean because, but the ocean can understand the fish. The big circle can understand the small one, but the small one cannot understand the big one. So how, and if we are the thoughts, the fish, how do we recognize the ocean, which is always there before birth, during and after death of the thoughts? So we use uh, right at the boundary of our thoughts. We devote to something bigger than our thought. We, we surrender our thought to something bigger and rest in that something bigger. That something bigger is a formless, but it's hard for us to have a relationship with the formless. So we can use any form to represent the formless. Any form is fine to represent the formless. But the key is to rest in the formless. So I'm going to play one of the uh, Hindu kirtan. Even though I was born and raised in the Buddhist tradition, but I found that I learned from other tradition, they all complement our practice. Because um, our practice is to find freedom. And sometimes you, from different angle, different method, help you to see from different angle, different perspective. Sometimes you can see it easier in the Vipassana tradition. So I'm going to make, uh, use a devotion which is related to what was saying, because how do we go beyond our limit? And so just sit, close your eyes and surrender to something bigger. And this one is the Jaya Bhat Bhagavan. Bhagavan, uh, means some, some, something bigger than yourself. And jaya is victorious. By resting in that something bigger than yourself, you are victorious because you always rest in this wholeness. Let's go beyond the limit of our thoughts is to surrender something to the whole. The whole is formless. So you can't formulate the whole. Uh, you can see the formless with your six senses but you can feel it through devotion to something bigger than yourself. You can make it into a form. Whatever form you choose doesn't matter as long as it points to the formless wholeness. And from the formless wholeness now, so you allow, you allow the divine to carry it for you, whatever it is. And because the divine is the doer, is the is the third person automatically you become the first person the wholeness so switch place with the divine normally you are the doer you carry the depression and the divine is the watcher divine watch you what you're doing now switch place with the divine you become the watcher the whole let the divine carry the pain for you let the divine carry the difficulty for you the form for you
the key is not the divine. The divine is just an excuse. The key is you surrender to something bigger. You just need an excuse to surrender. And that the Kiratan music you can carry with you 24 hours a day. It's similar to loving kindness. But loving kindness, you're doing it here in the Kiratan. You just surrender. Similar, similar technique. And that's something you can carry with you. You can, you can play that music in your, in your mind 24 hours a day with the breath, synchronized with the breath. In everything you do, the divine's doing it for you. You surrender your weight. You surrender whatever you're carrying to something bigger. And now you're light. You don't have to carry anything because you come here empty-handed. You leave this world empty-handed. In the middle, you carry something. Why not in the middle empty-handed? Because either way, you're empty-handed. Before you come and after you leave, why not say empty-handed? Yeah. So why not? You still you still have things. You still possess things. But now make yourself the accountant of that thing instead of the owner of that thing. Accounting, you can play the role. You can use it and play the role instead of using it to become the doer. As a role, you're not suffering. You can play the role of uh, a winner, a loser. and But it's just only you reenact the role. Then it's no problem whether you win or lose. But if you are the doer of the role, you make that your reference point, your frame of reference, then it becomes a problem. Remember the difference? If you're the doer, then you're the center and you make everything revolve around it. So if you make it the role, then the universe is a center and the role is just something to revolve around it. So it's, it's a shift of your reference point. It's a shift, but you you need to play that shift twenty four hours a day. Uh, how, you got to make that your practice while walking, while driving, while cooking. Let the make you are the whole, and the activities become the part. Or surrender the activities to the divine, so that you become the whole. So that you switch role with the divine. Let divine carry a part for you so that you can become the whole. Do you all have good questions and they all help interrelate them together? <laughs> um, I, I like what you said about uh, looking at different spiritual paths and you know seeing the commonalities. I, I've kind of done a lot of reading in, in various Buddhist uh, paths, whether it's Vipassana, Pure Land Buddhist, Nichirene, Zen, Tibetan, and they all have slightly different language, slightly different focus, uh, but they're all pointing to the same thing. And sometimes by looking at things from different angles, it makes it easier to understand, or at least I felt like it's it's been helpful. Um, and I, I like what you said about uh, 
you know, basically in Zen, they talk about relinquishing everything. Uh, there's not, in Vipassana, there's more of a focus on uh, awareness of the object and letting it go. And it seems like by using Zen koans and mantras, uh, like Nichiren and, and uh, Pure Land Buddhists use a lot of mantras to cut off the attachment to all these mental habits and thoughts and objects. So throughout the day, you've got something in your head that, that stops you from, from being attached to this I, um, and you're constantly cutting off uh, attachments. So there, there's just lots of different uh, techniques that do the same thing. Some, some you just meditate when you're sitting, you know, a couple times a day, and some you you use throughout the day. Uh, and it's interesting to to play around with with both. Um, so our foot in our practice, the first step is you you use this eye to cut off the uh, difficult emotion or to go beyond the difficult emotion. But this eye is still part of the problem. So we use the 1% problem to cut off the 99% problem. And once you cut off the 99% problem, now you need to cut off this 1% problem as well. Because as long as there's an eye, there's a uh, expectation. There's there's a way to change the manipulate the the world, the other people, the surrounding to make it fit with the eye, and that caused a problem. As long as there's an eye, th there's an expectation that it will be permanent instead of in the world of impermanence. So we're going against the law of nature. As long as there's an eye, there's uh, there's a uh, I want to make it a self to change it according to what I want, not according to what the nature wants. So first step is you use the 1% I to drop the 99%. That's the cost of the problem. Second step is now the 99% is gone. Now drop the 1% so that now you become the infinite universe. Uh, how to drop that 1% I is that so the small circle the first step is to drop the problem in the small circle so the we are the i is a small circle it's to drop the 99 percent problem in the small circle but now i want to jump here but this fish cannot understand the ocean the fish cannot get there so the way to surrender to become one with the ocean is the fish has to surrender. You can't. The small circle cannot possess the big circle. The small circle can only surrender to the big circle, not possessing it. So the way to surrender is to uh, devotion to the divine. But we cannot manipulate to get there. We cannot possess to get there. We cannot use uh, logic to get there. We cannot control to get there because it's beyond us. The fish cannot use its effort 
to get to know the ocean. The fish can only surrender and knows that it is part of the ocean. So it's a part of surrendering to something bigger. Right at the boundary of your thoughts. If you step into the form, into the visible, then it's my thought, it's my wants, my needs. But if you step to the invisible, the one beyond the boundary, then it's the whole, the bigger circle, the wholeness. You can't understand the whole, but you can feel something bigger than yourself. And that something bigger than yourself is your free is your freedom because it's be if you can feel it bigger than yourself, then you can feel it's bigger than your problem. So you can rest in something bigger than the problem. But you can't understand it because whatever you understand it is part of your problem. But you can feel something bigger. And surrender help you to feel that. Devotion help you to feel that. First, you borrow an object of the divine. For example, Buddha, Christ, Maharaji, Abraham, or whoever. But then you go, you go bigger and bigger to become the wholeness of the universe. So the form may be different. Christ is different than Buddha. But if you go, if you use that as a pointer to something bigger, to the infinite universe, then Christ consciousness is exactly the same thing as Buddha nature because just different terminology of saying the same thing. Uh, something bigger than yourself. I'm introducing you different tradition because sometimes you may be familiar with other tradition, but you can use the same technique, the Four Noble Truths, to put into whatever you're comfortable with. Because only what you're comfortable with can you make that your own answer. And only if it's your own answer, then you can put into practice. If somebody else answer, then it's harder to put into practice. Yes, please do. I feel like you've kind of already answered this and some other to your question. Yeah. Um, sometimes when you're talking about when you're looking at like a 50 pound weight and then like there's a 200 pound weight experience that comes up and you know, we have experience working up with those two. Sometimes the 200 pound weight um, doesn't have the same shape as the other ones. And I don't know what the handle it is or I don't know how to do it. Uh -huh. Can you remind me if yes, yes. say anything? Like, yeah. I can't, you know. It doesn't matter whether it has the same shape or not. Yeah. What matter is, can you step out of its boundary? So the 50 pound has a boundary, the 200 pound has a boundary. If you can step out the boundary of the 50 pound, then you can step out the boundary of the 200 pound. So our approach is not the form, the weight. Our approach is to use the weight as a pointer to something more than the weight. Because something more than the weight is your freedom. Because you can step, your depression is the weight. The problem is not trying to change your depression, which is changing the shape and size of the weight. The problem is how to go beyond your depression to know that you're more than that depression, which is beyond the boundary of the weight. And from that, be honest, now you can guide the depression. You can deal with it. So you're not trying to change the depression by changing uh, the weight. Your focus is not on the depression, 
but your focus is on something more than the depression. So you only use the weight, use the depression as a pointer to something more. And that's something more because you're outside of your problem, outside of your depression. Now you can guide your depression. I know you already said that. I just needed to hear it again. <laughs> <laughs> but first, you have to feel that you're more than your breath first. You have to feel that you're more than your sensation. Those, those are 50 pounds weight. Your depression is 200. It's too much. So first feel into your sensation. You're more than the sensation. Yeah. I think it's time. Maybe we could sit just one last minute together. Thank you for all the beautiful questions. You're sharing. You're present being here. We sit for another 30 more seconds. And this time, if uh, Bob already put the info for the New Year's Day walk uh, on chat, if you need to write down the uh, time or day or anything like that. Thank you very much for allowing me to share the practice with you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your sharing. And may the benefit, the merit of this practice be benefit to our beings. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you another time. <laughs> Take care. You have just listened to a recording from Inside LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.